Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Hey, what's up? Welcome back for part two of My Big Fat Mouth. If you didn't catch part one, you can go back and listen to it. These last two episodes are just going to be quick recaps of our Sunday morning message. We've had some technical difficulties the last couple of Sundays getting these messages recorded and published and are working diligently to ensure that you guys get the full content from our Sunday mornings because I know many of you right now are are um, staying connected through our podcast since we don't have a live stream. We're not able to do that as well as what we would like and so we're able to bring good quality content with our podcast and know that many of you are been out sick or maybe you're just staying at home just to stay safe. We want you to know that we miss you, that we're praying for you. would love to hear from you. Uh, connect with us. You can text the word Avenue Connect to 97000. You'll receive a link when you do that. You click on that link. There's some information about the church. There's also a digital connection card at the top to let us know how we can best connect with you. And then there's also a place where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. So with that, we're going to jump right into part two of our Big Fat Mouth next week on Sunday. Join us live and hopefully we'll have the live recording. So we're looking at this this thought and this principle of the power that you and I have in our words and shaping our world that um, God created everything, not with his hands, but with his words. And when he spoke something, that is what happened. When he said, let there be light, that is what happened. When he said, let there be space between the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth, that is what happened. And then when he created you and I in his image to be like him, we received that same authority and that same power in our words. And I want us to understand the power that we have and to use that responsibility um, to bring life, to bring encouragement not to poison those around us, to bring discouragement and bring destruction. James, Jesus's brother, reminds us this in verse three or in chapter three, verse two. He says, "For we all make mistakes. I know not you, right? I don't make that many. Um, I may have made one just now because honestly, I make way more mistakes than what I would like to. But he says, "We all make mistakes. For if we can control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. And that that is the key to changing things in our life, changing the direction of our life is to start with learning how to control our tongue. And we said this last week that sometimes in verse nine, sometimes our tongue, it praises the Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. And he says, surely my brothers and sisters, come on church, come on people. This is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up with both fresh water and bitter water? And he goes on to say, no, it 
can't. And so one of the things that we need to understand, and we said last week that our heart um, or our mouths, our words are the overflow of what is in our hearts. And Jesus said multiple times that when we follow him, that we would have springs of living water well up in us. And those springs of living water are not just for us, but for those around us. And so the words that we speak, they're either going to be wells of bitter water or they're going to be wells of fresh water. And so what you and I have to do, we said in the last episode that we need to taste our words so that they're fresh. Before we share them, before we speak them, we need to think. And we all know people that don't do that. You know, they like to see their response to what they say just as much as they like to see everyone else's response. And so they choose not to taste their words or not think about it. But as believers of Jesus and following him and making a difference in the world around us, we need to make sure that we're tasting our words. And one of the ways in which our words can be bitter is through complaining. Now, I know, like, sometimes we feel like our complaints are valid, but if we were really to take inventory of the things that we complain about, they're really, really um, minute. And when I think about complaining in Scripture, my mind automatically goes back to the Old Testament, to the children of Israel. And just just a quick backstory on who they are, because if you've been to church or you know a few times, you've heard the pastor reference the children of Israel. Well, before Israel was a country, it was a people. And before it was a people, it was actually one person who was named Jacob. And Jacob was the grandson of Abraham in the Bible. And Jacob had an interaction with God in which they wrestled, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. They moved to Egypt, and over the course of centuries, those 12 sons multiplied into 1.5 million or more um, Israelites while they were in Egypt, and they spent the majority of that time in captivity, enslaved. And during that time, they complained and cried out to God for him to save them out of slavery. And that's where we see their story in Exodus and Numbers. I want to encourage you to go back and read um, the story of the children of Israel and their exodus or their exit, so to speak, out of slavery in Egypt into the land that God had promised not just them, but promised their ancestor Abraham. And in Exodus chapter 14, we see that they are brought out of Egypt and Pharaoh and his army is now at this point chasing them to bring them back into Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. They can't cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is behind them, and they start complaining to the guy that had brought them out of Egypt. His name was Moses, and they're saying, Moses, we told you to leave us alone. You should have left us in Egypt. Now we're going to die here at the hands of Pharaoh. And God heard their complaint. And he performed a miracle splitting the Red Sea, and they were able to walk through the Red Sea to the other side. Once they got to the other side, the Red Sea closed back in on Pharaoh's army, drowning them all. Incredible things happened. And they're not done complaining. We see again in Exodus 16, they'd been wandering and walking for a few days to get to the land God had promised them. And they say this, if only we were still in Egypt and if you would have left us there, at least we would have had plenty of meat and all the bread we wanted. How many of you guys have been in a car with some folks who were hungry, right? Or maybe even hangry. And, you know, it could be, you know, if you're in a 
minivan. It could be up to like six or seven people. Imagine traveling with 1.5 million people who are hungry. And so what God does is he provides another miracle and allows this, um, it's almost like cereal, like the Bible calls it manna, but it's really like sweet um, pressed flakes that they wake up every morning and they see it on the ground. And all they have to do is just go out and collect it. It's the craziest thing. And so God provides food for them miraculously. And then we see in Numbers chapter 11, it says, Oh, for some meat. When we were in Egypt, we ate all the fish for free, and we had melons and cucumbers and onions and garlic. Now all we ever see is this manna every single day. So now they're sick of the manna. They're wanting some meat. They're eating the same thing every day. Uh, do you guys ever feel like you eat the same thing every day? For me, like we eat the same thing every week. It's either going to be um, beef in the form of steak or ground beef. It's going to be chicken grilled or fried or baked in the oven, um, pasta or like fish on occasion. And so we feel like sometimes we eat the same thing over and over. And these guys were, they were having manna every single morning all day long. And they're like, Oh, just to have some meat. And here's the crazy thing they say. They're like, while we were in Egypt, we ate the fish for free. What they've forgotten is they weren't eating it for free. They were working seven days a week as slaves for Pharaoh, building all of his pyramids and building all of his roads and, and houses and all those things. They were working from sunup to sundown seven days a week. And you can go on and read some other ways in which they're always, always complaining. And maybe you know people like that. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not to where all you do is complain. I wouldn't want to be around one person for 40 seconds, uh, but they spent roughly 40 years wandering the desert, essentially just complaining. And so I want us to look at our life. Like, what is it that we complain about most? Now, I know in life, there are some legitimate things that we do complain about. But if we were to be honest, like maybe 90 to 95% of the things that we complain about are are petty things. You know, since moving to Murfreesboro, I find myself complaining a lot about the cell phone service with the carrier that I have here in Murfreesboro. Um, whereas I remember not too long ago when I started college, I say not too long ago, it was like 20 something years ago now, but I didn't even have a cell phone. I didn't complain about not having a cell phone, but now I complain that I have a cell phone that doesn't have good service some of the time. Maybe we complain that our Wi-Fi is too slow. Like I remember having dial-up, right, where it was 14 kilobytes per second. Now I have like 200 gigabytes per second or whatever. It's ridiculous speed, but I complain about it being slow. Uh, maybe we don't like the job that we have because our meetings are too long. Uh, but would you rather be in a long meeting in the air conditioning or would you rather be outside um, working a, a construction job? It's all in how we view things. Like our house is too small. Um, I can't afford a house, but I'm in an apartment, you know. I know one of the things I complained about too when we first moved into our house that my yard was too small. I'm coming from a half an acre to now 0.14 acres. And what I, what I realized is that when we complain, we talked about in the last episode that our words, uh, we don't necessarily have a word problem when our words are bitter, but we have a heart problem. And when we're always complaining, the complaining is the fruit of a discontent heart. 
We're not content with what we have. We're not happy with what we have. And what's happening is Satan has taken our eyes off the goodness of God and we've taken our eyes off of him and we put our eyes on ourselves. And instead of seeing what God has done, instead of seeing where God is in our lives, what we're doing is we're believing the lie of the enemy that says God's not there, God doesn't care, and he's not enough. When we're discontent, it's our heart essentially saying that God's not there, God doesn't care, and he's not enough. And we've allowed the enemy to shift our view of seeing him as good and to looking at ourselves and seeing what we don't have. And the truth is this, guys, is that God is always there. He always cares. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from him except our own attitude, our own position, our own self, our own actions. Um, and he uses all things to work together for our good. He doesn't cause them to happen, but he uses them to work together. And no one understands the importance of, of our words and our thoughts more than this guy, Paul. Uh, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was someone who started out persecuting the church and condemning Christians to when he had an encounter with Jesus, he began planting churches and encouraging Christians. And he gives us this um, instructions, this encouragement in Philippians chapter 2, which is, we call it a book, but it's really a letter to a church. He says this in chapter 2, verse 13, or we'll start in verse 12. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases you. And verse 14, everyone quoted this when I told them I was going to talk about complaining. It's like, do everything without complaining and arguing, right? We know this. So that no one can criticize you. And then he says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. And so what he's saying here is like, look, guys, salvation is free, but do the work that shows the proof of your salvation, to show the results of your salvation. And really, if anyone had any room or right to complain, it would be Paul. Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. He spent, you know, two to three years in prison in Rome, writing these letters to the churches. And it's not the prisons that we think of today where you can get a degree and learn job skills and get in shape and learn how to cook. No, this is like in a dungeon. This is chained to another Roman soldier. You know, the food's not that great. He may not get to go to the bathroom where he wants to. He may be chained to a soldier. It's dark. And he's saying, look, do all of this without complaining, without complaining. In addition to being in prison, um, he was also beaten with 39 lashes five times. So you do the math of that, like he was had 190 lashes over the course of his life. He was beaten with rods three times. Uh, he was stoned once, like with rocks, drug outside the city and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times, one of those times. He floated overnight and all day adrift at the ocean. Another time he was snake bit. There was times when he was hot. There were times where he was cold. There was times where he was starving. There was times when he was wanted and chased. There were other times where he was alone and abandoned. And yet he's looking at all of this and saying, look, let's do all of this without complaining and arguing. 
so that no one can criticize you. Guys, I don't want, as a believer, a follower of Jesus, to be criticized because of my complaining. And so what do we do? Paul says to work hard to show the results of your salvation. And, and complaining is easy, right? Complain, like if you don't like something, it can be easy to complain. But it takes some work to change our heart, to create in us um, a heart condition and a word condition that pleases God. So there's three things that we can do. Very, it's simple, but it's not easy. The first thing is this, is if you don't like your circumstances and you can change your circumstances, then change your circumstances. You may not can change all of it, but if you can change any part of your circumstance, do the work to do that, right? You've heard people say, put up or shut up, right? Either do something about it or Stop your complaining. So what can we do about it? Well, one thing is if we can change our circumstance, let's change our circumstance. If you don't like your cell service, change your provider. If you don't like the restaurant, stop going to the restaurant. If you don't like your job, guess what? Learn new skills for a different job. Apply for another promotion. Apply for a different job. But don't necessarily quit your current job. That may not be the best thing to do to change your circumstance without already having another job lined up. Tired of all the drama on social media? Cancel your social media. Something in your relationship with your spouse isn't going well? Don't just complain what he or she doesn't do well. Have a conversation with them. Go speak to a counselor or a therapist. Speak to a friend on what you can do to improve and make changes in that relationship. So look at some of the circumstances that you find yourself complaining in right now. What can you do to change something in that circumstance and do the work to show the results, right? So what if you can't change your circumstance? Well, the second thing that you can do is you can change your perspective in the circumstance when you can't change the circumstance. And and we see Paul talking about this in Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look in verses 11 through 13. And he, he says this in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned how to I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, whether it's with plenty or whether it's with little. For a lot of us know this verse, Philippians 4:13, for I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I want to talk about that last verse. I want to talk about that last verse just for a minute because we use that out of context. I've seen that on posters of like gymnasts and basketball players. I've seen Philippians 4.13 written on tennis shoes, you know, written on football helmets. And we use this kind of in the context of I can do whatever I want to do because Christ is going to give me strength in that. You know, one of the things that I've never been able to do is dunk a basketball. And even in high school, when I was playing basketball, I put in the work to be able to dunk a basketball. I'm six, two and a half, maybe, you know, six, two and a quarter now that I've gotten a little older. But I did the workouts. We had this machine in high school called the Super Cat that was a bench, bench, 
basically it was like a squat machine that you put the weight on you did squats, you jumped with the weight on your shoulders, you did all these workouts, and then I conned my parents into buying these things called jump shoes. They were like $150 to $200, and they were basically platform shoes that made you walk on your toes, and so I would do these you know, jump roping exercises, I would do these workouts and walk around the house wearing these jump shoes, walking on my toes, hoping to build my calf muscles in a way that would allow me to be able to dunk because, hey, through Christ who gives me strength, I'm going to dunk a basketball. Guys, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I still cannot dunk a basketball. As a matter of fact, I found that the longer that I've walked with Jesus, the less I can actually jump, right? So I want us to understand what Paul is saying by this passage. Is what he's saying, when you take it in context with the couple of verses he's said before, he's saying, look, I've learned to be content with what I have or what I don't have because I'm content with who I have. And really, I love the way the the CEV, Contemporary English Version, uh, the translation puts it. It says that Christ gives me the strength to face anything. So it's not that you can do anything with Christ because I hate to bust your bubble, but there's some things just like I'll... You know, we'll never dunk a basketball without a trampoline or without lowering the rim. No matter how much I believe Christ is going to give me the strength for it, I'm not going to do that. But what we can do is we can face any obstacle, any challenge, um, any environment through Christ in us. And so here's how we can do this. I think we can ask these questions. And I think this is what Paul did when he was in prison. Is, is he was saying, how can I find Jesus in where I'm at? How can I find Jesus in where I'm at? How can I find Jesus in what I have? How can I find Jesus in what I'm going through? When we ask those three questions, and when we can find Jesus there in where I'm at, in what I have, in what I'm going through, then we can face anything. So if you don't like your job and you can't quit, how can you find Jesus there when Jesus is providing financially for you and your family? You may not like it, but he's providing. How can I find Jesus, you know, in not being able to buy a house? Because, I mean, who can buy, a, like, a house in this housing market? You know, if you if you can afford it, the house is gone before you even get a chance to go look at it. But maybe you're renting, and you know what? God's providing a home. You may not have a house, but you have a home. For us right now, I'm like, God, I can't get all the clothes folded no matter how much they stay clean. But you know what? I still have clean clothes in my closet, so I don't have to worry about folding it. I can just get them out of my closet. And I look at our house, and we've got, you know, our schedule is super, super busy with, you know, me being a pastor, my wife teaching, having three kids. And it doesn't stay just as clean as what I would like it, and especially in my kids' room. But I understand and I try to come from the perspective that one day my kids are not going to be in my house. And so this mess is actually the product of me having kids in my house. And so I want to look at things and see where can I see Jesus and where I'm at and what I have and what I'm going through. Because when I can find Jesus there, my perspective changes and I can face anything. So to stop complaining, we change our circumstance. If we can't change our circumstance, then we change our perspective. And so look, I know there are going to be times when we can't change our circumstance and we can't change our perspective. So what do we do? Because we have a valid complaint. 
when this is what we do, we change who we complain to. Complaining to your coworkers about things isn't going to change it. Complaining if you're at a restaurant and the service is horrible, you can complain to the other customers there that are across the table, but that's not going to change it. It's just going to create a toxic conversation of how much you guys are not enjoying the service that you're receiving. You can complain maybe to your server and that might change things, but then again, it might not. You can complain to the manager that might or might not change things. You can complain to your leaders at work and that might not change things. But if you're at the restaurant and you go to the owner and you complain to him, more than likely something's going to change. And so when it comes to us, we need to change who we complain to. Not to those around us, maybe not even to our spouse or our leaders, but we take those complaints to the Lord, who is the creator and the owner of all things. And David understood this in Psalm 142, verses 1 through 3. He says, I cry out to the Lord and plead for his mercy. And I love the imagery of this. It says, I pour out my complaints before him, and I tell him all my troubles. David says, when I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. So who do we complain to? We pour out our complaints to the Lord. Not our neighbors, not on Instagram, not on Facebook. You know, maybe share some things with our spouses and those closest to us. But if you really, really want to complain, because there are times when we can't change our circumstance, when it's too hard to change our perspective, we don't have the energy, the strength, the emotional energy to do that. What we can do is we can go into our room, we can close the door, we can go in a car, we can shut the door, and we can pour our complaints out to the Lord and tell him our troubles. And when we are overwhelmed, he will turn us and show us the way that we should turn. Show us how we can change our circumstances. Show us how we can change our perspective. And I found this quote when I was studying for this for this message in a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, because really in the American church, we don't complain well, we don't lament well, we don't mourn well. And it says this, as he says, the author says, Christians should never complain just to complain. Instead, we bring our complaints to the Lord for the purpose of moving us closer to him. And as we move closer to him, he takes our discontent heart, and shows us how we can be content, not just in what we have, material things, but what we have in Him and in the relationship that we have in Him. So just a quick recap, three things when we have bitter words that are always complaining. One, let's change our our circumstances if we can do that. If we can't do that, let's change our perspective. Let's find Jesus where we're at. And then when those two things are out of our control, then let's bring and pour our complaints out to the Lord. Hey, we hope to have next week our um, live recording up for you guys. We would love for you to join us in person on a Sunday if you can make it. 116 North Walnut Street at 10 a.m. We would love to stay connected with you, know how we can pray with you, answer any questions. You can do that by texting the word Avenue Connect, all one word, to 97000. Click on the link, click on the connection card. Let us know how we can pray for you. Or you can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook at Our Avenue Church or our website, OurAvenueChurch.com. Know that we love you guys. We pray you have an incredible week. Hope to see you soon.